At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. The following is a My Talk 1071 production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, I'm Stephanie Hansen, and we are here for the Makers of Minnesota podcast. It's episode 11, actually, and I am here with Nick Kosovich. He is the founder and the maker and partner of Bittercube Bitters, and we're going to talk with him a little bit. If you've been listening to these podcasts and you enjoy hearing more about Minnesota makers, because we do have such a cool community, make sure that you uh, rate us on any of your podcasting tools that you're listening on, whether it's iTunes or Podcast One. Um, we really have enjoyed bringing you these podcasts. You can find them. They are housed on mytalk1071.com each week. We have lots of podcasts to listen there, too. We're adding content all the time. So share the love. Let people know about them. Uh, that's kind of how the podcast community works, and I really appreciate any um, sharing that you do. So, Mr. Nick, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. I um, first came across you at an event, and I want to say you were bartending at, it wasn't Eat Street Social, which is, I think, where maybe kind of you have gotten started, but... It, Town were, Talk Diner is where I got started. That's where I first met you, yes. Yeah, it's a long time ago now, a decade ago. And I think you were making me like some kind of a creamsicle ice cream drink because weren't they that was the popular thing, Adult malts, yes, yes. We were doing that back then. So certainly not the first place to do you know, uh, alcohol into ice cream, but we were uh, in 2006, I think, in the terms of like what was happening in cocktails, we were certainly the first to kind of take that um, – that vision and kind of run with it. So it was okay. a lot of fun. Are you ready for like the kind of embarrassing questions here? Sure. Okay. So how old are you? 35 years old. Okay. So 10 years ago, approximately, let's mm-hmm. just say you're 25, you're a young buck, you're kind of entering into the drinking scene. Mm. And what like got you into deciding, hey, I'm going to make bitters. And I just, I, I can't imagine thinking that that would be a good business opportunity, but it seems like you've made it so. So I'm curious. You are 100% accurate. Uh, I think uh, any business teacher that uh, you told you were going to sell something that's used by the drop, they would tell you maybe to come up with another idea. Yeah, Yeah. exactly my thought. So, I mean, the short answer of how and why we started Bitter Cuba, the short answer is sheer desperation, I think. And then the long answer, which we probably have some time for today, is that, you know, it really is a lengthy process of a couple of years. And, you know, where did I, you know, come from with the, the idea of like the bartending and how did you know, my name get associated with this idea of like these new cocktails and craft cocktails in this market. And, you know, a lot of that was Town Talk Diner. If you talk to other bartenders that are, you know, successful bartenders in this market, a lot of them are going to, you know, tip their hat to Town Talk and and what that bar was. And in 2006, that was a big change in the the food and beverage world when we think about uh, the world of cocktails. It was kind of a small place. It was cute. It was heritage. It had been like a breakfast place with 
famous flapjacks mm-hmm. when it got taken over. And was that your first bartending job? No, no. I bartended um, at the Palomino Euro Bistro in downtown Minneapolis. It's an amazing Which I love, place. by yeah, the way. Yeah, You know, I mean, it's a, it's a corporate restaurant, but it was a small corporate yeah. restaurant. Uh, the Minneapolis one was like maybe the third Palomino that, that was out there. Uh, and I that was my first real restaurant job. Before that, I was uh, uh, working at Big Mike's Sub Sandwiches sure. and when I was at school at the U of M, and I was a delivery driver there. But then um, with Palomino, I got started. I was a wait assistant during lunch uh, shifts. Yeah. And then I moved to night wait assistant, then lunch server, then night server, then bar back, then bartender. So I really uh, had this amazing experience under what was a really good educational corporate structure. And then I uh, left there and... You must have worked with my friend Jack. Jack. Uh, I can't yeah, even think yeah, of his yeah, last yeah. name, but he worked at the bar forever. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, there's this old guard of bartenders that yeah. were there that, you know, from those guys I really learned, you know, what we call now like... The bartender bravado when we're teaching bartenders this idea of like what it means to to represent this this space inside of a, of a restaurant you know to be a bartender is a lot of things but you know there's this part of it that's like this this confidence and this personality and everybody having their own version of that you know and now we talk a lot about not only the the bravado but also like your bartender cadence like how do you carry yourself behind the bar what does it look like when you make drinks or when you pour a beer and and those guys uh, uh, that were there bartending. That, that I learned a lot of that from them, you know. So you take that to Town Talk Diner, which I remember was sort of a smash on the cocktail scene because they, you guys, were making cocktails that really no one had ever seen before in the Twin Cities. Yeah, and you know the the family tree of you know drink making in this town starts between you know I think Town Talk Diner and. And La Belle Vie, really, sure, those Johnny two, you know, Johnny. So there's people that worked under Johnny Michaels at La Belle Vie that have now, you know, done done things. And then there's people that worked at Town Talk and have moved on to do things. And, and so there's some cross-pollination there as well. But, um, you know, Aaron Johnson and Tim Niver, those are my two mentors in this business. And I learned I learned so much from them. And they they really... They made me fall in love with the hospitality industry. I think that, you know, when I was working at Palomino, it was always a means to an end. I was in school, Mm -hmm. then I was a musician, I was in a band, and then I went back to work at the Palomino, and then I went back to school. And, you know, working at the Palomino was always like, there's something else that I'm doing with my life. And when I'm, I was in school for the second time working on my English degree to be a teacher, and I started working at uh, the Town Talk Diner. And very quickly, within a matter of months, I realized, like, this is this is what I want to do. This is it. And it was exciting. And and, you know, it was a lot of hard work. But this idea of like independence, you know, very different than what was happening at, you know, the Palomino or other jobs I'd had after that. And so it really all came together in 2006 for me, where I I felt like in 2006 at 25, I I had started at least coming to this place in my, my career where I could say that what I was doing there was a career. Like Tim Niver and Aaron Johnson, those two men, they they just embody that. Like like they are they have the ability to make people feel like what they're doing is a profession. God, it's so cool to hear you say that because per, a I I love Tim Niver. I don't know Aaron, but I feel like Tim Niver is such a hospitalitarian. Like he just He's the best. And he a friend of mine who just moved into town recently kind of sent me a text the other day and said, 
I just went to this new restaurant in St. Paul. It was so great. I loved it so much. And I'm thinking, well, what restaurant did she go to? Because I live in St. Paul. She's like, I went to this place called Moochie's. And I love Moochie's a lot. But what I think I love about it the most is, I'll be honest with you, like the food is pretty, pretty accessible food. It's spaghetti and meatballs. It's pizza. What she mentioned, though, in her like experience of being in the restaurant was meeting him was the community neighborhood vibe that she got, was the server recommendations, was the hostess chatting and helping her with her daughter. Like all, the whole experience that she was describing was not spaghetti and meatballs. You know what I yeah. mean? It was like everything that Niver wants a restaurant to be, she got it. And that's what the town talk was. We were serving burgers and cheese curds. And yeah, the chef was from the French Laundry and Super Townsend. There's amazing, you know, you know, David Vlock did amazing things there. And the yep. other chefs to, to come after that, you know, Tommy Begno uh, uh, was the chef there for a while. And he's now at Coup d'etat. And, uh, you know, there is this, this, the, I, the whole idea of like lightheartedness and and you know leaving your 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 personal things at the door and walking into that space and just you know it's it's a place of safety for everyone working there and the guests you know come in and and just share this little place that we can kind of do whatever we want and so you know the the town talk diner of that era became you know something much greater than I think it had ever been since it had been right. built and I I still think even I would say that that town talk from 2006 to 2009 is the peak of that space, you yeah. know, like, you know, I don't think that anyone will ever be able to replicate what happened there. And I don't think that anybody that operates in that space is going to be able to shake the try. ghosts, yeah. you know, shake the ghosts of what we did there. And, you know, there was a, a feeling of, of this energy of excitement and, you know, it just, it felt like we were getting away with something that we shouldn't even, yeah. like, you shouldn't be having this much fun. And, you know, the way that we ran that, that place and, you know, we, we called it the point position. You walk in and there's that bar yep. and that corner right. bar. And like, you know, Tim taught me this, like, like, how do you get away with being, you know, like aggressive and like in control and rude, but like at the end of the day, like it all comes together in this beautiful package of like, it's just what it is and it's what we're doing and you should come and, and, and be part of it with us. And like stand in the line and let me make fun of you in front of people and watch how much fun it is, you yeah. know? And like, <laughs> I just, I watched him do this and I just, I loved it and it really became an important part of, of where I am now. And, and it was just an amazing time to, to be in the, in the business. I think we were, we were, we started something that I don't even think they intended to do. I don't think Aaron Johnson, when he wrote that first cocktail menu was like, this menu is going to change the way people drink in this city. And it did. Yeah. And it has. And the only reason that we're having this conversation is because of that time that I was at town talk and, uh, I, I will always look fondly at it. It's just so inspiring. And, you know, we've trained over 400 bartenders now, bitter cube all well, over the country. So let's back up there because I'm sorry, I no, there. no, no, no. I love, I loved that story because yeah. when you think about being a business person or you think about being an entrepreneur, that spark is exactly what got you to where you are today. And that you remember the mentors and you remember the people that helped you get there is awesome. I've never seen people work that hard before either. That was the first time in my life that I realized like any dream can happen if you really believe in it and have the vision and understand that it's going to overtake your life in a lot of ways. And like also watching them balance their personal lives, you know, yep. having families and working endless hours, but somehow making it all work and be happy. I've, I've, I, I hope I'm doing a pretty good job of that right now, but that is where all of that comes from yeah. is from that place. So, yeah. So 
you know, we sit in this conversation and what I originally thought we were going to talk about was not what we're going to end up talking about because I thought we were going to end up talking about, you know, you make bitters and your company. But what I'm getting from you is that like the bitter making is just part of it's the product part of what really has become, I'm assuming, is your service orientation towards your business. Well, we wear many hats, and that was always the model that we were started with. And so, the we is, we should introduce your partner, too. Yeah, well, I have two partners right now. I have uh, Ira Koplowitz, yep. uh, who started the company with me in 2009. So we met first in 2008 at Town Talk Diner, actually, and he was the bar manager of a bar in Chicago called The Violet Hour, which uh, in 2006, when it opened, it was really one of the first places in Chicago doing craft cocktails. And yep. so, you know... You know, one of the things that I think I learned from Aaron and Tim with all of that quote unquote bartender bravado is also, uh, you know, there's a level of arrogance that comes with, sure. you know, those guys. And, uh, you know, I followed suit really quickly, you know, like I know what I'm doing and I wouldn't, you know, I, I wasn't really taking opinions from people at that time. You know, yep. here's what we're producing. People are loving it. We're going to keep doing this. And, you know, it, there was something about Ira. He came into the bar one day. And, um, he starts asking me questions about why I'm doing the things that I'm doing and why I'm doing them this way. And here he, you know, cause he's a bartender from this very like focused classical methodology, like working on the same drink with six people days and days in a row <laughs> tweaking things. And here I am, you know, like I always compare like our backgrounds, like I rose like the calligraphy yep. and I am like spray painting on the walls. And so like at town talk, we had everything made in house that we could. And that all comes from Aaron's culinary background, like every liqueur under the sun, vermouths, tinctures, tonics, all the bitters, all of these things. And I was like super impressed, like with all of the stuff that we're making, but like I'm making, I'm like free pouring. I'm using juice from last night. I'm, you know, it's just kind of like, this chaos yep. and he sees the beauty in the chaos, but at the same time he just was very inquisitive. But for some reason, like the way that he spoke at me, like it like, kind of penetrated something that I think I, I couldn't hear from anybody else. You know, like if people are like, this drink's wrong, I'd be like, no, your palate actually is probably, <laughs> you know, and there's just something about Ira that really kind of triggered that. And so we kind of started talking about stuff and where we were at and I went and visited him in Chicago and he was uh, uh, coming up here quite a bit. And, and so, you know, we really started to build this friendship. And then I left Town Talk in 2009, August yep. of 2009, and then moved to Milwaukee uh, to originally open up a project, but then uh, he moved up to Milwaukee as well. And then we kind of found ourselves in this place of like, what are we going to do um, outside of why we're here? And so that's when this idea of creating something that was multiple uh, uh, kind of ideas put together, this idea of like, we want to make products. And in 2006, there really wasn't, in 2009 even, there wasn't a lot of bitters yeah. being made, right? Now there's, yep. it's an extremely saturated market, but fortunately we have been doing it for eight years now. So, you know, there's a lot of, of uh, we're, we're a lot of steps ahead of a lot of people, yeah. you know? So there's that side of it. And then uh, there's the side of wanting to educate people on this thing. Because, you know, we look at where these two worlds come from. We're like, wow, this is kind of really cool. Like we have what they have at the Violet Hour, but we also have this like culinary approach and this 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 idea of like lightheartedness. And when you put those two things together, then like that's that's a really great idea, right? Yeah. Like putting the, like, like can we put as much care and compassion and focus and education into it and still, you know, make fart jokes and throw water at people and have a lot of fun and, you know, just have it be, feel like, you know, you know, almost like like careless 
can you do those two things at the same time? The answer is yes, you yes. know. And uh, so we kind of put those two things together, and and you know the, the the company is continuing to evolve and morph. But that's kind of where the consulting side comes from. You know, we're teaching people the history of classic cocktails, how to use these uh, ingredients and use these tools. But then every, every single program that we do has a different focus and shape and some of them are, are maybe a little more serious and vests and ties yep. and some of them are like what we're doing at Lawless which is you know bomb pops as garnishes and sparklers and uh, you know and then so there's that consulting side which we can talk more about but then the other two pieces are um, brand advocacy so we take uh, you know clients like uh, small clients like Crooked Water Spirits, yep. uh, Gamle Aquavits, uh, Twisted Path Distillery in Milwaukee, Lawless Distilling Company, and we support them with cocktail development. Uh, we help them kind of fill in the holes where maybe someone who owns a spirit company or is a distiller, you know, there's so many places that you have to be participating in to get your the awareness of your product out so we can help with some of those. Right. So, you know, there's, there's you know, help with education, teaching people how to make cocktails with their products, all that stuff. So brand advocacy. We also have Bacardi as a big, big client of ours. I've been a brand ambassador for Bombay Sapphire for seven years now, traveling really? all over North I America. I Yeah, I've been judging a cocktail competition called the Most Imaginative Bartender Competition since tw- Six years now, six seven years I've been doing that. So that's one side thing. I mean, it would be a full. It's a full time job. This is a part of what, what, For what a we do. Person. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, then you know, lastly, the 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 last one is events. So you know, we do weddings, demos, you know, private parties, cocktail classes. Uh, you know, bat mitzvahs. I'll walk your dog for, you know, it's not cheap anymore, but I will walk your dog if you'd like. Um, but we do all these other crazy things. And now those are exciting too. And when you put it all together, it's just this really well-rounded, crazy experiment that's working. It's working. We're growing. And we've seen incredible growth uh, in, in so many of those areas. And, you know, I just bartended a wedding on Saturday and uh, I don't get to be behind the bar as much as I want to anymore. And those are great because you're making a menu specifically for those guests. Yep. And you just like a caterer, you know exactly what you know. I'm going to make 200 of this, 100 of this, 60 sure. of these. And you just do it. And, and then it's done and it's gone. And, you know, those 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 weddings get crazier and crazier, you know, more elaborate ideas and concepts, but they're always different, you know. And so those are kind of the four main things that our company does okay. right now. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. So from the bitters perspective, you have how many now? Eight? We have eight flavors. We have uh, a new one coming out that's going to be a collaboration with a, a local bar in town that is uh, we've been working on for like 18 months. Um, I don't know if I should say it yet, but when it comes out, it should come out this uh, this winter uh, before Christmas. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, and then we have root beer on the way as well. Um, but those probably won't make it until next year. But right bitters? In, yeah, or... root beer bitters, yeah. Okay. Um, so right, right now we have eight flavors that you can purchase uh, in, in town in Minneapolis here, Minneapolis-St. Paul. I mean, any, we always say any uh, uh, respectable uh, liquor store carries our product, but it's true. I mean, they're, they're pretty readily available. I know Cervix available. carries all carries it. Uh, South Lindale, uh, Zips, France 44, yep. uh, you know, to name a few. And um, What's your best seller? Is it the vanilla cherry bark? Yeah, yeah, cherry bark vanilla. Um, we have a t-shirt coming out that says cherry bark vanilla pays the bills. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because there's there's like bar shirts that say like vodka pays the bills yep. on them, and uh, which is also true. But uh, we, uh, yeah, the cherry bark we produce right now. So you know when we started our first batches in 2010, we launched the bitters in June of 2010, six flavors only. We were making them at a distillery in Madison, Wisconsin, called Yahara Bay. Yep. Uh, now we produce hundred to uh, like 200 gallon batches, uh, and we're producing upwards of four to six hundred gallons a month. So, and it's kind of crazy. Like, I mean, I think I have at least six of your bitters, mm-hmm. maybe not all eight, but, and it's kind of crazy how much I use them, mm-hmm. which I would have never thought to even use bitters before this whole cocktail movement. And now I'm kind of, my interest has been peaked with uh, someone who's been using it in cooking. Absolutely. And so like. When I originally was like making like you, why would you sell something that you only use by the drop? But it feels like I'm a big bitters consumer mm-hmm. and I'm interested in how to take it to the next level kind of with cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a I got to believe a product extension for you guys that you could get into in the next iteration too. Well, in you know, a couple things about that. So, you know, one of the taglines when we, you know, people ask what are bitters? You know, you get that still a lot. And, you know, we say that bitters are liquid spices. That's really what we're doing. We're taking uh, botanicals that are grown from all over the world and we're extracting their uh, uh, flavor oils and their flavor molecules through high proof spirit maceration mm-hmm. and we're making liquid spice blends. And so therefore, when you say that to the home consumer, it starts to transfer into that idea. Like think about vinaigrettes and marinades. If you think about a vinaigrette, you know, just a simple balsamic vinaigrette with Jamaican number one bitters, which is allspice, black pepper, clove, ginger, yeah. right? You just add all these flavors. And so, you know, we're really you know, transferring like something that's like we can really quickly add flavor to, um, you know, these different dishes. And we have chefs around the country that that love using the bitters as well. Um, there was a chef uh, at a dinner in Madison searing scallops and then putting a drop of cherry bark bitters on top of the scallop and it kind of like evaporates as this aromatic garnish. I mean, it's brilliant, right? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we, we see people using them in, in baking a lot as well. I mean, blackstrap bitters or molasses and cinnamon, sassafras. Yep. Cookies, uh, And cookies, yeah, mm-hmm. chocolate chip cookies, you know. Um, but, you know, in the long the long form of what are bitters, uh, we say, uh, you know, bitters are an amalgamation of roots, barks, fruits, flowers, spices, and herbs extracted through high-proof spirit and softened with water and citrus juices, sugar as well. So that's kind of like the long end of that. But um, they are really versatile. And, and when people start to use them more, they start to also use them outside of just cocktails, right? Mm-hmm. Where it becomes, uh, you know, an eyedropper of cherry bark in a uh, bo- you know, bottle of soda water, mm-hmm. a San Pellegrino, something like that. That is, you know, how I consume them most of the, the day is, uh, you know, until the Soda Stream came out, I had a pretty serious San Pellegrino problem. I mean, it was crippling financially. Yeah, the, that's the, the Soda Stream kind of <laughs> yeah. changed my life in that way too. Yeah. And everybody's like, well, I don't, I'm like, I don't use any of the flavorings. I just Soda Stream tap water. And right. Then- and then you add bitters to that. I mean, if you add cherry bark bitters to Soda Stream, it's the best thing ever. And okay, so, I've never done that. Yeah. I'm going to do so it. So that's all, that's, that's what we see a lot of that with. And then, you know, for us, the biggest thing was almost, you know, when we started the company, we were very convinced that like our main demographic was cocktail bars around yep. the country. Well, 
in 2009, we were in 2010, we were still in a place where most of the great cocktail bars in the country were doing exactly what we did at Town Talk Diner, which was make everything in house. Why was I making these bitters in house? Why was I making bitters in in house in the first place? Was because they weren't available. Right. And so as we broke into the market, we we're going to all of even our friends and family, you know, we'd be like, "Hey, you know, we're selling these bitters now." And they're like, "I make bitters in the back room and so we're now seeing a trend where there's so many amazing products out there not just bitters but sugars syrups you know all these mixing things that are made by bartenders for bartenders that you're seeing people stop stop making everything in-house and having that demand i think that that trend is changing like at eat street social for example we had 58 house-made ingredients at any given time right that's two three people working full-time just dealing with prep you know yeah so i think that as i in my travels i've seen more and more bar bar managers talk about you know really focusing on slimming that down you know having having a few unique things made in-house every menu but that's about it if somebody can produce a ginger syrup for me it's going to cost way less than me paying somebody in the basement to make it you know yeah and so the bitters are kind of doing that as well where we're seeing a big growth in the 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 bar world of lots of markets but for us it's always been the home consumer you know i feel that bitter cubes biggest role in you know so many communities is education and not not just educating you know bartenders and in, in, in bar programs around the country but you know all of the events we do the demos the the big wine festivals you know those things consumer. are always about teaching the home consumer and mm-hmm. you know the the truth is, is that our programs are also really rooted in classic cocktails so you know we're not really trying to like jump over anybody's head here you know you know how to make a manhattan or at least you think you know how to make a manhattan let me show you our way to make a Manhattan. Now try it with these bitters. Right. It's kind of the simple part of it, right? We have this book that we're working on right now called The Seven Pillars of Classic Cocktails. And this book is basically our training manual that we're putting into book form for, for, for the yep. world, right? And it basically says that you know most, most people that aren't bartenders or people that are learning how to be bartenders think that the first thing you have to do is start to memorize hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of recipes. But what we say is that there's really only seven styles of drinks out there. I mean, obviously, there's exceptions to these rules. But you can really do these really broad strokes of education by being like, you know, a gimlet and a daiquiri are the same cocktail. They're the same exact thing. They just one has gin and one has rum. Same recipe, same formula. Here's your tools. Use them correctly. Do you know who Michael Roman is? No. He's a... Oh, Roman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a chef. Yep, yeah, And he has a famous book called Ratios. Yeah, yeah. Which is basically the same idea that if I teach you these 10 things, you're going to be able to cook, make a vinaigrette, do a braise, you know, whatever these skills are, and then you can extrapolate them into all these different techniques. I should probably get that book. You should. (laughs) So Stephanie March, uh, my radio partner on Weekly Dish, recommended it to me. And her and I kind of... We're great partners because we're not the same. And she likes sort of the technique side of things. And I'm more of the like, okay, what do we do with the technique and how does that look in the end? But she's really into like the the science and Mm -hmm. the practical pieces of it. We try to do both. And and we try to do both for our consumer base, uh, the home consumer. We try to do both for our our beverage programs as well. I want to make menus that are unique to every place and fit in each program and each building and and I want them all to make sense. We want to do things that are pushing envelopes that are really unique that other people aren't doing yet. But at the end of the day, my number one goal is that when someone orders a drink, it's served by somebody who knows what they're doing, that cares about that person, and it doesn't take more than a couple minutes to get it out, you know? So let's talk about that for a second. When you started Bittercube, you were bartending, I'm assuming. I mean, like, what was your seed money? Not much. So we... 
we, you know, we both had left our jobs in Chicago and Minneapolis, moved to Milwaukee, and we were working on a restaurant, like a bar concept for mm-hmm. about the first two months that we moved there. And then from there, we, October 31st, so November 1st, so we took November, December of 2009 really to sit and build this idea. And so we were, you know, in Ira's apartment on laptops, kind of going through business models and business plans. We were bartending together as Bittercube one night a week doing a new menu every week. And so it was above Bryant's, this classic, classic cocktail bar in in Milwaukee. Uh, They were closed on uh, Sunday nights, so they would let us use their upstairs uh, room as like Bittercube, Speakeasy with Bittercube, or Speakeasy with Nick and Ira, or something like that. And still today, some of the... Like bitter cube classic cocktails that Ira and I created together are from these menus that we did all the way back, you know, six years ago. Sure. And uh, we did a new menu every day or every week, and that's how we kind of started to build a, a, a you know, a, a group of, of people really excited about what we were doing. And then uh, our first consulting gig was in January of 2010. So there was only a very brief time where we were kind of like. We you know, need. maybe a little down and yeah, out. Yeah, what on, are we gonna do about you know, money? Maybe sharing cheeseburgers. Yeah, yep. yeah, and uh, uh, you know, one one high life each before bed, and um, so that that period of time was great because you know I feel like as an entrepreneur, not a word I use often, but as an entrepreneur, I think that you know I, that joke of like sheer desperation, like. I think any good entrepreneur actually knows that there's actually some truth in that. Like either it's something that you've experienced because you have to know what it feels like to work really hard. So it never happens again, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that there's something about that. And I didn't know that at 25, you know, I didn't know that at 25 when I was at town talk and I didn't know that when I left town talk and you know, when I left town talk, I just, I felt like I had reached a ceiling in that, that position, you know, Tim and Aaron weren't there any longer yep. strip club. had opened up. I wasn't part of that program. Um, you know, the Theros group was trying to do their best with, with making the town talk work and, yep. you know, they couldn't do it. They couldn't, you know, the, the, the soul had been removed from yep. this thing and they were trying to still, they were trying to do what they do successfully at Rudolph's, which is great, but it just, without this like missing heart piece, it did not work anymore. There. And yeah. it closed on my birthday, uh, January 16th, 2010, I woke up. And got a phone call that the the town talk had shut her door. So just three months after I left. Um, But, you know, I felt like I had reached a ceiling there and a ceiling in Minneapolis. So I took this risk. You know, my son at the time was still only, um, let's see, how old was he? Younger than he is today. He was like six or five, five or six. I was going to ask you about that because when you have a family, that tends to change sometimes the dynamic. Yeah. My husband and I were entrepreneurs together, and I will tell anyone who's interested in the story that it almost caused us to get divorced very early on. Mm. We were very strapped financially. We did not know where the next paycheck was coming from, and it was very stressful. And you talk about sort of that getting to the end of the line and what that feeling is and pushing through. And I did not have that as an entrepreneur, but my husband did. Mm-hmm. And you know, just being at odds with how we going to get there. And we managed to do it together. We managed to push through it. But I, I love to talk to entrepreneurs because, like, it's not easy. You don't have necessarily money coming in. You don't have health insurance. You don't have a plan. And you're building the plan. So many people don't have business plans. I thought it was fascinating that you said that you spent two months kind of talking through and actually had a business plan. Because that would be my number one piece of advice for someone. Like, you have to have a business plan. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, to be fair, I would say business plan in quotation marks. And they change. You know? Yeah, and but and you know, morph. we we definitely were building something. We yeah. were like, what is this thing going to be? And and it is it is it's you know, I went through a divorce when we opened up Town Talk Diner, and you know, I would be it would be silly of me to to not think that there's a correlation between the opening of that restaurant and the demise of my my first marriage and yeah. Owen's mother. And you know, there's something also about the fact of being divorced and co-parenting that allowed me to make that transition. So for for two years, I drove from Milwaukee to Minneapolis, picked up my son. Uh, brought him to Faribault, Minnesota, where I grew up, and we stayed with my grandparents or my mom. I mean, for two years straight, I did that. For you know, every other week, I would drive up so I could be with Owen. And it, you know, I left. I left in a in a perfect time. We started this company in a, in a in a really great opportunity in a place where like there wasn't a lot of this happening. No one was really, you know, we didn't even know there was other companies making small batch bitters until we already started. And we're like, maybe we should go on the internet and see, you know, what we're doing. <laughs> I, I think that that's also, we got lucky with that. Like we didn't know that there was anybody else out, out there because if we had, you know, the fact that everything's at our fingertips now, we lose sight and we, we convince ourselves that it's not going to work because you, you can just see, you know, like we open it up and we're like, oh, well, somebody's already doing what we're doing. And it's like, well, in all ideas, I firmly believe that I mean, all ideas are are no ideas are original, really. No, there's you're nothing repackaging, new. You're repackaging, yeah. you're reconcepting. You have a different enthusiasm. Exactly, and and so you know that no, you know, kind of like it's like sheer desperation, ignorance, and a desire to work hard can really actually be a good yeah. model for success. And you know, it wasn't easy. It's still not easy. It's harder and harder every day. Today was the hardest day of all of them. And tomorrow probably will be too, you know, the pendulum of, of businesses ups and downs. I mean, the pendulum is getting bigger and bigger and yeah. bigger. And, you know, we have 14 people on payroll now, you know, and, and before it was just ironized. And you so. lay in bed sometimes and just feel like, <laughs> Oh my God, how are we? Jana's got to pay her mortgage. My wife, know? I told my wife when, before I came here and I was just kind of having a stressful day, you know, cause I was actually in London right now, uh, bartending with Eric Anderson and Jamie Malone at a restaurant called Carousel. And I'm headed there on Friday. Excellent. And, uh, so there's, you know, six hour time difference. And, you know, I told my wife, uh, before she went to work that I was coming and doing the, an interview. And, and I was like, what if I just, what if I just start crying? Would that be weird? <laughs> like, what if I just have a breakdown? Like, she's like, so Nick, tell me how everything's going. And I just, I'm like, ah, you know, that's what I was kind of, it has I, happened I, and, yeah. actually, not in this studio, but if you're like, I started a podcast of entrepreneurs and you know, 50% of the time people start they crying. Cried. Yeah. Yeah. I so, do have a therapy quality. I yeah. will tell you. So, you know, so there was a lot of that in the beginning of this, that this idea of like just really, really hard work. And Ira and I spent every moment together and, you know, and then we got to a place where we had to divide and conquer. And then, and then it got to a place where it was time to come home, which was great. I felt so trapped in Minnesota. I grew up here. I just, and I felt like I couldn't really do anything. And then even just moving six hours away, it was enough for me to look back at this area, this location, the city and be like, I love it. This it's is mine. Amazing. This is yeah. where I live. This is where I belong. I'm the North. I'm from the North <laughs> and I'm going to come back. And I did. I came back. We opened up Eat Street Social, you know, and I lived there for, for, for a number yep. of years and did everything and, and worked really hard on that project. And it was, it was a perfect way to come back to the city was to open yeah. up that, that, that restaurant. When you think about, um, like how do you, when you consult, right, you're going to, how do you know how to charge for something like that? That's I just the, think yeah. like consultant, I think being a consultant and that's kind of what I'm doing now too is so weird. And 
I don't know how to charge for things. How do you know? Well, and, you know, in the beginning, too, it was hard because, you know, someone wants you to bartend, like, their wedding or something or their private party. And you're like, you know, I and I are like, what do we charge? And it's like, well, I don't want to ask for too much money. And then they say no, but I don't want to ask for too low of money. And I'm like, well, wouldn't we just do this for, like, sandwiches right now? You know, like, (laughs) I will literally bartend your wedding if you feed me was where we were at in 2009, you know. And so now, you know, for us, our services continue to expand. You know, we weren't always brand advocates and that just became a part of our business naturally. And, you know, is Ira a brand advocate too? Yeah. I mean, Ira does another program more so than I do with Bacardi. So for the national brands, we created this program called the, uh, the tailor-made tonic program. Mm -hmm. And so myself, Ira, and then, um, Gary Hayward, who's the national brand ambassador for the House of Bombay Gins, mm-hmm. we travel around North America, and we're about to do London as well. I mean, the world eventually. And we have this like tonic kit, and it's got 18 different extracts. We go sit down at a bar. We taste through all the extracts. They blend a tonic, and then we sh- we make them a 32-ounce bottle of this extract at the Apothecary in Milwaukee, where we make the bitters. And that 32-ounce bottle will produce roughly 500 gin and tonics. And so we do that a lot. And so that's, that's kind cool. of, that's Ira's program with them. And then my program with them is, uh, you know, the judging of the most imaginative bartender competition. I get paid to do the three things I love the most, eat, drink, and judge people. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty funny. Now, when you're at a bartender competition, um, and we judge food contests, sometimes um, it's really hard because you're like trying 20 chilies, you know, and you're trying to find the subtlety I want to try all tr- these chilies. 20 chilies. Maybe we can switch jobs. <laughs> Do you it. have like a super palate or? I, <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think that I have a normal palate, even though I tell everyone I have a super palate, but I think my palate's normal, but I think that it's an educated palate. So I understand the idea of balance and I understand a what drinks could and should taste like. You know, for judging comp- cocktail competitions, we're looking at four main things. Appearance, which is, you know, what does the drink look like? Sure. Aroma, what does it smell like? You'd be surprised how many cocktails fall short on that. I tasted 350 cocktails this year in this competition over the course of five weeks. And, uh, you know, you you know 75% of them just don't have any aroma. And we think we, as we build drinks, we always assume that the way that the ingredients smell when I made the drink is what the drink's going to taste like. But You've dropped those products down in temperature so low that the aromas are subdued. You've kind of it's masked them with temperature. When you do have a drink that smells good, mm-hmm. it's like wine, right? It's like you're bringing yeah. it to your nose mm-hmm. and you're getting a sense of it's just like can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. And and then uh, so taste then obviously a big mm-hmm. one to judge on. And for taste, it's always that it's balanced for us. Like you know. Is the cocktail balanced between acidity and sweetness? And in those balancing acts, then does the spirit shine through? Does the the theme shine through? And so we're we're always looking at those things. And it's a great opportunity to be able to travel around the country, taste cocktails from every market, meet bartenders from every market. And then I get to come back home and I get to use everything that I learned and saw and tasted in all of these programs that we're doing. And so to go back to the consulting, like how do you charge for that thing, right? So it, it, it all depends on, you know, what you're providing them. So we have, uh, like we have a consulting 
packet that we update every year. And so like our 26 consulting packet has six different options all the way down from like, we'll come in for three days and we'll do the masterclass. Like the masterclass is about 18 hours of work where we talk about these fundamental seven pillars and we get you behind the bar and we show you stuff. So that's kind of for like a restaurant or a bar that's already open and they see that the landscape of food and drink is changing and they want to update it because, you know, the beautiful thing about the consulting side of our business is that, uh, the 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 bar world is an apprenticeship style job just like carpentry sure so you have to have someone teach you how to do it right in order to do it right just like carpentry which makes me a lot like jesus (laughs) (laughs) so uh so you know having that weight on my shoulders every day is just difficult but uh so you know there's all the way down to that three days and then most of our programs are long long contracts right i want at least a year for everybody because I can't show somebody what I do, that idea of the bravado and the cadence. You don't get to show that when it's like a wooden bar, the bar's not even built yet, and we're trying to teach people how to make Manhattans. Yeah. Like They need to watch me and watch my team bartend and bartend with them. And, and that's why Eat Street Social, like you go to Eat Street Social today, I would say pe- a lot of people go there and they're like, this is a bitter cube bar. This is, you know, Nick and Ira work here. Yep. And I, you know, I haven't been there more than, a, you know, we go there once every three months to taste cocktails because they have a great team that's been there since we were there and so that's how we always are trying to do our programs how how much time are you going to give us how much time do you want us on the ground and then we figure out those dollar amounts and and the dollar amounts change as the length of the contract goes on and so maybe that first year is is you know x amount of dollars and then that next year contract would be half of that because i don't need to be there as much you're saying though that's smart and something to think about is you you're commoditizing packages yeah where there is no right answer, like so, so it's like I send these these dot these lists out. Here's mm-hmm. all the things I could possibly do for you. Here's all the things, all the way down to PR and marketing and support. Here's everything that Bittercube can provide. Now, what's your budget? And so let's look at that budget and let's look at what we can make work. And so and, each package yeah. is can differ. You know, we have clients in California that I go see, uh, you know, once every three months, and that costs X amount versus. You know, when we open up Cafe Alma, which is coming really soon, and I yeah. can't, can't wait. I can't wait uh, either. And that one's exciting, too, because, you know, we we originally talked with Alex, who, you know, was a, a very important. Uh, I don't know if he knows how, how how long I've looked up to him, but, you know, he, the first time we did Iron Bartender in 2009, which I won uh, uh, that year, uh, he came in uh, a couple times with his brother, you know, and it was you know, quiet. And I was like, I just started making him drinks. You know, I'm like, here, taste this, do this. What do you think about this? And like, there was a couple like, you know, three hour sessions of, you know, him tasting things that I was working on that to this day were still really important. And so when we started talking about doing that project together, I was really, really excited. And, and again, like that, that project is going to be so different than everything else we've done in town because we're really going to be inspired by his food and inspired by his theory of what Alma is and what Alma means. And we're going to do our best to try to interpret that in into the beverage program, which right. is exciting. And so our original contract was really, I was going to come in with the team. We're going to train. We write the first menu. We're done after opening after a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And then I'll come back in three months and do a new menu for a day. And, you know, just the way that things were starting to shape up, I'm like, I don't want to just do that. Can I... Can I come can work I here? Stay here yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I called him up last week and I was like, "Can I play more? You know, what can we do? How can I be more involved?" And so I think we're going to get to a place where both myself and Marco will be able to be behind the bar there a little bit, and and that's kind of a you know th- that's exciting because it's going to be you know like what's going to ha- what is that cafe going to feel like? I you don't know, know and like, because the restaurant has been so phenomenal. Yeah. 
Um, it's a big risk to obviously close a restaurant like that, retool it, redo mm-hmm. it. But I am so glad that he is. I there's think the hotel will be team. so cool. It's going to be great. And, you know, there's a lot of programs that when we start them, there's a vision that we've come up with or that I've come up with or that Ira's come up with. And we just take that, right? Like Lawless Distilling was me sitting them down and saying, all right, here's what we think we should do here. Mm-hmm. And we did that. Are and- you, so you're a partner in that? No, no, they're a client of ours. They're just a client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I ask you about that? There's so many local spirits that are being produced, and I'm a big fan of the local movement and makers, obviously. Are we to the point where there's just some that aren't good? (laughs) And, you know, like we get all excited because it's local, but I also think if you're going to make a local product... You have to make good products or you're not going to be able to stay in the business. And maybe we're just to the point where there's too many or some of them aren't as good or there's each place has one good in a category and they're doing 10 things. Yeah. There's and there's there's also like as a bar manager or bar owner or bar consultant, when you have these new places opening up and they come to, to pitch you on their stuff, the air of you should have this because it's local doesn't do it enough for me, right? Not anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and I, I hope that the segue wasn't about Lawless's spirits, but no, just like I in just a, made in me think about yeah, them yeah. in general. Because, you know, for Lawless, what's unique is that their main focus is what we're doing at the cocktail room. And so, like, yes, their products are available in liquor stores, but the real push that we're doing right now is what we're doing inside of that room. In the cocktail and room. You know, we have some new products that they're working on specifically just that will be available in the room. Um, that's really different, and that's too, exciting. because no one else is doing that. yet. No, they're not. They're doing spirits first and then cocktail room second. Traditionally, um, I think a Tattersall was spirit room first, right? Yeah, I mean, they've always had a cocktail room in there, so but there I feel like Tattersall is doing a really strong balance of like the home consumer liquor store and coming in and drinking at the bar. Yeah, I would like they're say They're doing that's a really right. good balance of that. That place is beautiful. I love those guys. You know, Dan Oski, when I was at Town Talk, he lived down the road or worked down the road at the uh, the, uh, the grill uh, down there. I forget the name of it. In that neighborhood off a of lake right before the river. Anyway. Oh, Longfellow Grill? Yeah, Longfellow. He was yep. the bar manager then. Then he went on and he was the bar manager at Strip Club with Tim Niver. Yep. And so, you know, we... Uh, like stepbrothers for a while working at mm-hmm. those projects. And so, you know, those guys are great and their products are great. And, you know, so I, I certainly have my favorites of these local distilleries and I have ones that I think are being done inaccurately. And I, I think that what we what we have lucky at Lawless is that they are at a place where they want to know what we want. They're, our guys are distilling with them. We're learning how to run the still. And right. so we're really tying the, the two worlds together. And uh, it's exciting to have your hands tied. They make a vodka and a gin right now. And I have 22 drinks on that menu. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so that's exciting. And, you know, we have a great team there. Everybody that's behind the bar is also a Bittercube employee. And they were with us at Cena Tavern. And, and uh, they were, you know, Dustin was at Eat Street Social. Mm-hmm. And Marco, who's now a partner at Bittercube, is... Uh, 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 at uh, uh, he was at Eat Street Social as well, and he's at Lawless, and so there's a lot of this like flowing happening between all of those guys, which is so great. So you you brought in Marco, so there's now three of you. I, we did. We got sidetracked, I think, several That's times okay. in this conversation, but we started talking about Ira. But Marco Zapia is our third okay. uh, partner as well, and so he started working for us at Eat Street Social at 19 years old. Wow. He had never bartended before in his life, and now he is you know, third in command of our business, and he's only, I mean, he's he's a little baby. That's really and funny. He's a Amazing, and and he he got all of that by 
by the same way we did, which is hard work, hard work dedication, growing. earning mm-hmm. it, and just keeps growing in the company. And um, we have another gentleman uh, named Brendan Benham, who is in Milwaukee, and he's our production manager uh, at the apothecary, and he is uh, he's about to make partner as well. And uh, you know, there's there's this the the idea of people kind of starting out in one position in one place and growing into something of, of such importance and value to our company is really exciting because it reminds us of when we started it. It's exciting too, to hear about your growth and that you're bringing on not high level senior employees, but partners. That means they share in the profitability. That means your income is less. Mm, yes. <laughs> it, um, does. it I mean, it just does. Yeah. Uh, and obviously there's opportunities with more minds and the hive works together and you create what's the next thing. Um, the beer world has kind of been saturated somewhat in the, in the Twin Cities market and craft beer is super popular everywhere. Is there, um, do you think that there'd ever be like, what's the next evolution? Is it more sodas? Is it more, you mentioned tinctures, like, is it maybe utilizing, um, these products in, in food and marketing that? Do you think about like in that big picture or is it yeah, really spirit you know, driven? I mean, well, for Bitter Cube exclusively, the idea is to continue to branch out and to do more skews. So not only represent more brands and more types of products, um, like we just were about to uh, sign with a, uh, a, uh, a company called Rujero, which is a uh, like a Bolivian uh, uh, spirit, like a grape spirit. Neat. And uh, so kind of like... Um, Kind of like Pisco, but it's from Bolivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we have, you know, so those types of things where we're trying to build that portfolio. And then but we're also trying to build our own portfolio. So we own a vodka called Modest Vodka. It's made in Madison, Wisconsin. I did not uh, know that. Yeah, yeah. It's a really uh, cool product in the sense that, like, vodka is something that we always joke about, and especially in our training, we're like, vodka's you know, flavorless, colorless, yeah, and odorless. So like spirit. when we're talking about making cocktails, like how can you use that as a base? It's like painting on saran wrap, you know, like it yeah. just doesn't have any structure. So how can we do that? Um, but, you know, vodka also can be great when done used correctly because, you know, you can look at a menu and there's, there's still, you know, even as we have a more educated consumer base in this market and in every market, uh, you know, people can come into your bar and just read until they see the word vodka. I mean, the drink could be made with pig's blood, but if it has the word vodka in it, you're going to be, be like, fine. I'll have the vodka drink. Like, Are you sure? <laughs> yes. You know, uh, we even took that joke and turned it into a cocktail and, uh, What's it's in true. It? The are you sure? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, it has pig's blood in it, cl- clarified pig's blood. So, uh, you basically run the pig's blood in a centrifuge, and there's a chemical inside of pig's blood that's similar to an egg white. So you can put the tiniest amount of pig's blood in a cocktail and shake it, and it'll froth up. God, crazy this feels amounts. so Mike Brown. It's crazy amounts. Yeah, <laughs> Mike Brown. He, I think he's had that drink actually. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so there's that side and then we have a spiced rum that our label just got approved by the TTB. So we're really excited about that. That's a collaboration with Twisted Path Distillery, which is a distillery right below where we make the bitters in the Lincoln warehouse. So, um, you know, we're trying to do that. We have a jigger coming out, a new bitter cube standard jigger. Uh, we've got some, some other bar tools that we're working on and we make these things called cocktail cedars, which are like slivers of Spanish cedar. Um, that you light and then you can use them to like either smoke glassware or express, you know, inflame orange and lemon peels or use them for infusion. And the the reason is that you get, you get rid of the sulfur from matches and the butane from, you know, lighters and things like that onto your drink. If you're trying to like express oils and flame them. 
One um, one thing that I love that I haven't seen a lot here in the Twin Cities is there's a place called Tongue in Cheek, which does a cocktail flight. There's like four little mini cocktails. Um, and I assume that more people don't do that because it's time consuming to actually make the cocktail. But can you see, like, I, I feel like if we got more into cocktail flights that we would be able to do more food pairings, really experience more of the... I don't know, botanical nature of some of these cocktails. Mm. So I think, well, a couple of trends that I'm seeing taking place and I think are going to happen. You know, the one is like, I think you're going to see more canned cocktails. So I think, you know, we're going to see this, this idea of craft try to be more and more transposed to the liquor store. It's not going to work like the same way, but the idea, like if you can get a bitter cube gin and tonic at a liquor store, you know, that's kind of one, one vantage point. You're also going to see, if brands and companies can create those those products that are already pre-made, you could essentially see those starting to be utilized even in the best bar programs, right? So, like, if I can get a, a, a gin and tonic in can and somehow uh, uh, there's there's a quality to that, yeah. that, you might see that start to be utilized. Because you could amend it with yeah. some small ingredient yep. and it would be an upgrade. Exactly. And then you also see the batching kind of being figured out where a lot of times – even just a few years ago, people would be doing keg cocktails and bottled cocktails. And, yep. you know, everybody thinks it's like the best new thing, but they weren't treating those cocktails correctly. And so, like, if you make a kegged, like, daiquiri and it has a bunch of lime juice in it, the lime juice is going to go bad. Yep. And that keg cocktail is going to go bad. And now you see people starting to utilize new techniques and technologies to get away from that so that the drinks that we are batching and bottling to have efficiency are also preserved in a way that they will taste the same day one to day 30. Yeah. Those types of techniques, as you see more places doing it, are going to allow for, you know, those smaller things to happen. And so we're, we try to do that. We're at every menu. We're trying to be as efficient as possible. We have kegs on tap that are full of cocktail. We have bottled cocktails. We have cocktails and champagne flutes that we've carbonated. And so as we make all of that part more efficient, it allows us to do more exciting things in terms of garnishment, in terms of splitting drinks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you look at, you know, if you're making four quarter-sized cocktails, all a minute for every order, and you mm-hmm. have a full house on a Friday night, I mean, it's going to shut your bar down. Yeah. And so, um, But I think the idea of pairing is 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 happening. I mean, we've done hundreds of cocktail dinners, yep. and they're our favorite. Uh, you know, like I said, Ira's in London, right? As we speak, doing yep. one. It's their first night at Carousel Restaurant in uh, uh, London, which is great. We're the first bar team ever to take over the bar program at that place, which is really exciting. That's cool. And uh, I think Eric and Jamie are the second American chefs yeah. since they opened. Gosh, and and uh, any word, I mean, brute, is it, I just, I want that place to open <laughs> It's so happening. Bad. It's happening. It's going to happen. Uh, you know, it's continuing to evolve, but it's a real thing. And, uh, they have space. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not my place to talk about yeah. those things, but I will... Uh, I will be there and I can't wait and I uh, I can't wait to showcase what we're going to do there. You know, it's been great. We've been doing a lot of projects together since we kind of started courting, uh, our company started courting each other a little yep. bit and, you know, Eric and Jamie came to Costa Rica and helped us open up a bar down on the beach there and uh-huh. uh, we did <laughs> we did uh, these Gonzo sound pop-ups which we have a few more coming in October yep. which is great that, uh, you know, that yakitori concept and we've been doing the whole menu, beverage menu based on that, the Japanese style uh, uh, beverage program program. And then, um, you know, we've just had a few of these different pop-ups all over. So it's been a lot of uh, opportunity to really learn how to work together and, and, and really play on flavors and things like that. And those guys are so talented. And 
I just, yeah, I can't, I also cannot wait for Brute to open up. So. You're very well thought of in your industry. You're, people always talk about like how nice you are and how kind you are. And I just really appreciate that you came in today and Thank spent you. some time with us. Yeah, you're, they say you're a man with a very big heart and very generous with your time. That is very nice. Thank yeah, you. Is this I, where I'm supposed to cry? Is no, that- <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> No, you can't cry today. People have said other things, too, like uh, difficult to work with and yelly sometimes. So. <laughs> yeah, I can be a little bit yelly on my end as well. All right. Thank you for spending time with us today. And uh, good luck in all of your endeavors to come. And I'm going to check out your modest vodka. Thank you. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. An F-16 pilot having hydraulic problems with his aircraft managed to parachute to safety as the plane smashed into a warehouse east of Los Angeles. Fire Captain Fernando Herrera. That pilot landed in the uh, March Air Force Base area. In the base itself. Amazingly, there were no serious injuries after the plane hit the building. Alabama executed a man last night for his role in killing four people after an argument over a pickup truck. Tennessee executed a man who killed his wife. Reporters couldn't see the execution, but AP correspondent Travis Lawler says... We could hear sounds, uh, including a singing that uh, uh, Mr. Johnson's attorney says was him singing a hymn. Answering a reporter's question, President Trump said he hopes the U.S. is not on a path to war with Iran. Mr. Trump has dismissed suggestions that any of his advisors are trying to push him into a conflict. I'm Rita Foley.